Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the weakening economy, as several key reads suggest growth continues to slow, yields dropping, recession fears rising. All this, as yet another Fed member says, interest rates still need to go higher for longer. We'll debate and discuss that with the Investment Committee this hour. Joining me, Bryn Talkington, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone. They're here at Post 9. Let's check the markets. Dow is hanging on to a gain. It's been mostly a healthcare kind of day. Utilities as well. See the S&P, the NASDAQ are negative. Yields, a very big story today as well. You've got some steepening, Joe. Uh, you had 39 basis points between the two-year and the 10-year a few moments ago. Uh, the data was weak. ADP below, ISM services below, PMI services below. What do we do? I mean, that's your story. And you talked about the spread between the two and 10-year at the beginning of March. It was as wide as 110. So let, let's remember that we still don't even feel the effect in the economic numbers from the largest disinflationary shock that we've experienced since this, infla- uh, this fight against inflation. And that is what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and the stress that we're seeing. So it's completely reflected in what we're seeing with the Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Russell and small caps are trading at the lower end of its range. If we've got a chart, we could show that. Back in EC, I'd appreciate it. The NASDAQ and the S&P both trading towards the upper end of its range. That divergence, it's telling you something. It's telling you that the economy is weakening and that further economic weakening is in ahead. It's reflected in today. Consumer staples, healthcare, leading markets higher. You know what it's not reflected in, Carrie? Mester. The Mester. Huh. Right. comments because it's she's, she says that rates should go above five percent and stay oh, there for some oh. time we'll show you a wall element that we made to really give you the full extent of the quote here is the cleveland fed president loretta mester this was last night in new york suggesting that rates need to go above five this is the old higher for longer right so apparently she doesn't think that the events around svb were as disinflationary, perhaps, as Joe suggests they were. Yeah, well, I'm not sure what other data she's looking at, because if you look at rents, we know that those rents are coming down fast. There are other disinflationary factors in the market. Just think about what we were so worried about six months ago. We were at 8%, 9%. And you know now we're looking at uh, jobs being weak, wages are up, but not at the same level. You've seen it in office workers. While services are strong, services will follow the rest of the economy. And that's bound to be weak at some point. So she must be looking at something else, or perhaps she's just posturing, perhaps, because she thinks, don't let people ease up 
don't let people start to think that we're going to let them off the hook. Uh, but I, I still think that it's unlikely that they can keep these rates up this high if we have an economy that's definitely slowing. So, Bryn, what, what do you want to make of the data today juxtaposed against Mester? I think the data is telling us what we already knew, and that data doesn't even remotely reflect the, to, Joe, to Joe's point, the disinflation that's coming from the regional banks, lack of lending, that will absolutely happen. And I think what's, what, what, where Mester, there has to be so many assumptions that she's making. If I take a step back, though, and look at historically, historically, the Fed has never stopped a tightening cycle before CPI was below Fed funds. So right now, CPI is around six, Fed funds is at 480. If you just go back and look, March of last year, May and June, those CPI prints, Scott, were one to 1.2. As those start to roll off, and even if we grow at 0.4 over the next few months, by June of this year, CPI will be about 3.6%, well below where Fed funds are. And so I think that, she is, to, to Carrie's point, also posturing with tons of assumptions. But all of the data is telling us inflation's coming down. Atlanta GDP says year-end real GDP should be around 1.8. And so I think mm. this is where we get into that playbook that the Fed always over-tightens. And so it's not really the history is telling us that it probably won't be that different again this time around. Utilities up, uh, staples up. Your gold up, your GLD, um, that's proven a good place to be as this week was, you know, one of those points where we mark and say, okay, gold got back above $2,000 first time in a year or so. Or, I mean, are those the trade? If yields are coming down, utilities, you want to be there? If you're more worried about where we are, staples, do you want to be there? Gold, do you still want to be there? Yes, you do, because there is a large disinflationary effect that's right now impacting markets. But clearly, the economic conditions are going to weaken it. And, and just back to the Federal Reserve for one moment, they, they see what's going on in the economy. They realize that there's $5.1 trillion sitting in money markets. The offset to that is that the entity that is offering that yield is parking their capital at the Federal Reserve. Why? Because in a reverse repo, you get 4.8%. So right now, there's $2.3 trillion sitting in those reverse repos. That means there's no lending. So the consumer is sitting there with a higher interest expense, tightening credit conditions, and oh, guess what? In the last couple of days, now they have to worry about an oil expense. Yeah, I want you to, though, to address what I asked you. Um, do you <laughs> want to stay in utilities and staples in gold? Gold, Or yes. do you want to buy the dip in tech? Hmm. Because tech's been down for a few days. Okay, so you, you're That's asking, what I want to know. You're asking someone who, like the overwhelming consensus, came into the year with the institutional positioning underweight technology. Right. Now you're moving towards the end of a quarter where there's been a change in economic conditions that lends itself towards what? Growth is back. Technology is back. So at the end of this month, I'll sit with you. I'll tell you exactly what I'm doing strategically within the portfolio. But you have to acknowledge that being underweight technology and growth, that hasn't been such a good strategic position okay, this quarter. Okay, so Carrie, I'll, I'll give you the same question. Joe is obviously limited by the parameters <laughs> no, of the rebalance <laughs> to some respects. Or, I, I yes. get it. I get it to some degree. 
Um, and I know there's only there, he can't say that much because he's got positions that he has to yeah. perhaps rebalance and, and change within the structure of, of the Joe T ETF. You don't. No. So utilities, staples, gold, right. mm -hmm. what's working today. Remember, yesterday was a bad day for the cyclicals, industrials, energy, materials. Right. Technology's been down for a few days. Yep. Not by that much, but nonetheless selling off. Nasdaq's down near one and a half percent. NVIDIA is down three and a quarter percent uh, at this moment. Do you want to buy the dip in tech? Well, we own tech. Uh, so the question is, what's the right positioning for a market that seems to keep shifting? Because if we keep rotating through the year from defensive, meaning today's defensive, back to growth in two months, and then we go back to defensive, while the economy is weak, do we really want to keep doing that? Who is in a position to keep shifting a whole portfolio? I mean, I just don't think that clients want that, and it's very hard to do that correctly. So the appropriate, we think the appropriate balance is to have, you have to have some both, and you have to pick the names that you think are good on the defensive side, I know, and but, the names that are good but, on the technology. Some, if I didn't own technology, I think that I would buy technology at, you know, have prices that you some think are, are using good, Technology yes. as a defensive, Surg. yeah, as a surrogate for, yeah, more safety, more, more defense, and and by the way, the street once again today comes out with a whole list of bullish calls. B of A, Saw Apple that. price target 168. Jeffrey's bullish on your Meta price target 250. Argus upgrading Meta. Blair oh. bullish on CrowdStrike. Jeffrey's reiterates Alphabet buy. They're talking, you know, Wolf with mega caps and the year of efficiency. How to play it? Google, Meta, Amazon. You get my drift. Yeah, yeah, but to, to Carrie's point, and I'll, and I'll give you this, if you're sitting underweight technology, the climate has completely changed. Long duration assets, which were punished in 2022, now the environment is more favorable for them. Wait, so, has it changed? I mean, so you're suggesting that the trend- You can't sit at underweight technology so the, anymore. the trend that we've seen from the beginning of the year is a longer lasting trend. Of, co of course it is. The, a two, a two year yield so has gone from five point Oh, eight percent to yeah. three point six seven percent. You're seeing the the massive inversion in a two to ten go from one ten. You began the show with it to thirty six. The climate has completely changed. Long duration assets are not experiencing the type of stress that they were experiencing in twenty twenty two. You can't can maintain that underweight positioning. No, any I know, but it's more it's more Bryn than just the the idea of long duration assets and where interest rates go. It's the idea of defense. It's the idea of balance sheets. It's cash flow its earnings potential relative to other more cyclical areas of the economy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think you can maintain that underweight. I think if you go overweight right now, you've, you're chasing your tail because you've had a double, like an NVIDIA, which I own, its multiple has doubled this year. And so when I look at these companies, the massive multiple expansion that you've seen and the returns, I mean, the, the Qs are still up 18% year to date. NVIDIA is up. 81%. These, this sector could have put in the year-to-date returns in the first quarter, and that would be a stellar year. And so I think you actually, if you, ha if you were underweight, you want to buy your time because coming into these earnings, like Google's going to be negative earnings year over year. The estimate's down 13, Apple down five, Microsoft flat, the estimate's year over year. So we're not going to have these stellar earnings. Maybe they come out and say, we think we're going to have operating leverage in the second half of the year. But I think you're patient, you buy your time, because to Carrie's point, you are seeing this rotation in the market. It's not coming out of the market as a whole. And I think you're seeing people staying out of financials. They're starting to come a little bit out of tech. It's not a, it's not a dip, it's like a blip. And moving into those 
staples in healthcare, which is what you want to own when you're going into a contraction. So I say don't chase it and don't reposition your portfolio to chase to chase tech at this point in, at this point of the year. You want to want to respond to that? Because I mean, I'll I feel sim- like we I'll have simpli- a I'll simply state there's a there's a middle ground yeah. between overweight and underweight. The middle ground is just get back to your benchmark at least. And I think from a risk management standpoint, that's probably the right strategic approach. And you don't want technology to get too far away from you sitting in that underweight positioning. Yes, Bryn is correct. The Qs year to date uh, are up nearly 18 percent, but those Qs can go up by another five to ten percent. I feel like very you, easily. I know, but I feel like you were making the case in that earlier answer that you actually want to be overweight technology. That you came in, not you, but the collective you, came into the year underweight tech, and now because you think that the trend is able to continue, that it's best to be overweight tech relative to other sectors. Uh, now I feel like you're peeling that no, back a no, little bit. That, that, that was more a reflective moment on the prior <laughs> quarter and wishing I was overweight technology because that would have certainly helped performance. So I'm acknowledging, uh, I'm acknowledging that. Okay. The other idea is going into other areas, buying some of the dips in places where maybe some more of the, of the concerns have been acute. On that note, let's bring in our halftime headliner today, Brian Belsky of, of BMO, who makes the argument, interestingly, and I, maybe not that interesting, because you have gone against the crowd for the better part of the last 18 months, and sometimes, frankly, at your peril, which you have admitted on this program. But you suggest you want to buy the dip in financials. Why? Good afternoon, Scott. Thanks for mentioning that. You know, money is made when there's blood in the streets. I'm not saying that there's blood in the streets in financials, but we need to take two steps back and number one, apply some common sense. Number two, apply some analysis. And number three, kind of look at things longer term. So let's look at the common sense side of things. I think the market's throwing the baby out with the bathwater with all these financials and they're not treating all financials equally. And what we think is going to end up happening from a thematic basis and strategically are three things. Number one, the inverse of what happened post the great financial crisis where small and medium banks were the, were the really things to be and everyone shunned the big banks. I think it's pretty clear that big money center banks and Canadian banks are gonna be the big winners in this as investors, another, uh, whether or not you're a private client investor, a commercial real estate investor, or an institutional investor, are gonna to go to the big banks where the balance sheets and the stabilities are. That's kind of number one thing. Number two theme is that Because of the issues in the small mid banks, I think they're gonna see massive consolidation. Uh, And number three, uh, with respect to going forward in regulation, I think there's gonna be pointed regulation, pointed regulation toward the small and mid banks. From a fundamental perspective, tier one capital ratios are 400 basis points above where we were in the great financial crisis. Loan to deposit ratios are very steady. Held to maturity securities are very, very pointed in those in those banks that were the bad behavior banks. We're seeing no systemic risk, but the financials at 14% of the market, we believe uh, would be a strong overweight here and, and propose a great value at these levels. You don't have to own them all, Scott. You have to be very select. And from our work with rising dispersion and rising earnings growth dispersion across the market, but especially on a sector level, you absolutely positively have to be a stock picker. But I feel like, you know, you're in the Mike Mayo camp of, you know, as you look at bank to bank that in his words, as he puts it, Goliath is winning. I just feel like 
even so, that may be the case. But after SVB and what's happened with regional banks and how some of credit may be changing, that Goliath is getting hit with more stones than we otherwise originally thought. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that, Scott, because again, um, this is about stock picking. And, uh, and, and I think we in the investment community, frankly, have gotten lazy by just buying ETFs or being, being broader on the market. That's why you have to roll up your sleeves and do individual uh, work on some of these banks. Like for instance, in the small mid cap portfolio, we own Glacier Bank and First Citizen. Uh, these are banks that have massively, I mean, I'm sorry, great management teams, very clean balance sheets, very clean loan portfolios. And unfortunately, uh, you have to kind of sift through the rubble to find those big names or the best names, I'm sorry. In the big cap banks, uh, Mr. Moynihan and Mr. Diamond set the stage when they talked about fourth quarter earnings and 2023 earnings early in January, where they started this mantra of under promise and over deliver in Mr. Diamond's letter. Uh, that everybody wants to talk about this week only accentuated that. And oh, by the way, he said, oh, maybe not uh, things are so bad. But so that's why you want to be more concentrated with respect to your holdings, maintain that overweight, let everybody be bearish. If you look at our fund flow chart that we put in our report today, everyone and their mother, brother, sister, cousin, uncles chasing utilities, we'd say good luck with that. Uh, same thing on the staple side, they're expensive. You want to look at where people are not. You want to always want to skate to where the puck is going, not, Scott. Yeah, and where the well, puck is going is these areas. If the puck is going to a, a softer portion of the ice because the economy is obviously <laughs> weakening by virtue of the data, do you really want to skate there at the risk of falling through? Yes, I do. Because remember, stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. The stock market, if and when we see the softness in the economy, Scott, the Fed's gonna cut rates. Karen was amazing when she talked about, and, and Bryn talked about the Fed's gonna be late. Everybody knows the Fed's gonna be late. The Fed's gonna overshoot. We know that. Scott, what's the market gonna do if and when the Fed cuts rates? Come on. We are not going, we're not in a period where we're going back to zero interest rates anytime soon. Joe talks about disinflation. You have disinflation, yeah, from the medium banks, but you also have disinflation from the growth aspects of the market, which would be technology. The market's gonna rally the second half of the year. To be talking about the market peaking in the first quarter is, is not, doesn't, makes no sense. Are we gonna be what choppy here? What if we're in a recession? What if we're in a recession? What, what if we've already in the recession? The market was down 26% peak to trough. The market's already told you we're gonna have some sort of recession. It could have already happened. Again, stocks lead areas which lead the economy. By the time yeah, we're in the recession, Yeah, but a consumer recession hasn't happened. A consumer recession, which would arguably make it a little deeper if the consumer rolls over to any great degree, then you could have a problem with your thesis, no? No, because the last consumer recession we had, the true consumer recession we had was in the 80s. We had a bit of a consumer recession in, the, in, the early, in 1990, 91, but we came back very fast. By the time that the market, we, we examined that we're in a recession, the market's up on average 10 to 15%, Scott. So again, you have to be careful with, oh, we're in a recession, the market's are gonna go down, or we're going to a recession. The stock market's already told you we either are in a recession or this, this notion of a rolling recession, which everybody likes to talk about, but the, the stock market's already discounted that we've either already had a recession or are in recession, and now you have to position for the next 12 to 18 months. So what are you, you're bullish because you think the Fed's gonna cut rates? No, I'm bullish because 
I'm bullish because I think, number one, people are way too bearish. Number two, a lot of people are, are miscalculating what's going on in the market. The stock market went up in, in January because everyone was buying the oversold stuff. Then all of a sudden, people got worried in the banks and they bought liquidity. Oh, by the way, what's liquidity? The largest, largest stocks in, in the market are the tech stocks. So again, I think you have to be neutral tech and be more on the stable side of things. We're, we're bullish, Scott, because we think earnings are not gonna go down as much as everybody thinks. We think that balance sheet strength and cash flow is very strong, and investors are gonna come back to the United States because of the fundamental stability, period, in financials, healthcare, tech, are gonna be, we believe, and communication services, by the way, which were overweight, are gonna be the leaders with respect to performance on a fundamental basis. So your base case is that earnings don't come down anymore from where they already have come down to? No, I think I think earnings might go down a little bit more the next uh, the next quarter or so. But actually, uh, we are very very confident with our 220 number for 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 this year. 230 would be our best case scenario. Remember, our best case scenario in terms of our market targets are 4800 and 230. Our base case is 4300 and 220. So we're not jump up and down bullish. What we're saying is be more positive than everybody else. Don't try to time the market, which everybody seems to want to be bearish again because we have no real data until the Fed comes out in May. We're in this squishy part of the market in April where I think this is where you roll up your sleeves and when the market gives you an opportunity to bottom fish, that's what you should be doing. You got something, Joe? I do. I don't know if you want to go back to financials, but I have a question. Uh, go ahead, real quick. Brian, when, when you're thinking about financials, and full disclosure, I bought J.P. Morgan on March 24th. I'm already along Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. But a lot of the thesis surrounding owning financials has been a capital allocation story, the return of buybacks. In the environment that you and I both believe we're going to be forecasting here in the coming months, don't you see a contraction in buybacks? And how, how do you think that's going to impact the sector itself? Who will be immune from that and who will be most damaged by it? It's a great question. I think the buyback situation is way overplayed from the, from the media standpoint in terms of the taxing side, because if you think the, the marginal spread between any kind of tax increase with respect to buybacks relative to what you would be doing relative, especially to where yields are, if yields are going lower, it doesn't matter what the tax rate is, Joe, as you know, if you go back historically, yields go lower, buybacks remain very, very, very timely. And so I think the combination of dividends, dividend growth and buybacks, but also earning stability Within, t within financials, even if financial numbers, which, oh, by the way, have bottomed, okay, if they go down even more, they're still forecasting double-digit earnings growth. You've said on the show here that you have many technology companies that are showing negative year-over-year -year growth. And if the S&P 500, which Scott continues to be worried about in terms of earnings are going to go to zero or whatever. I, did I if say you have that? negative earnings growth. Did I say no, that? But I didn't say I, that. I, no, I'm just... No, but I'm just calling you out because fact, you're so negative. I didn't say anything. Scott. I didn't say anything. No, you're so I asked you the questions. Earnings. But, Scott, you're so negative on earnings all the time. What you have to understand is that stability of earnings are going to be important. They come down, though, right? I, they come down, though, right? Of course they of course they come down, but they, they're not going to be double-digit negative. Okay, and, pe and all the companies in the market are not going to be I, losing money. I never money. said they and were the going to be. Yeah, I never said they were are going still to be. Yeah, but if financials are still going to give you double-digit earnings growth and attractive multiples, and everyone hates those names, don't you want to be there? I mean, you'd want to be there just because everybody hates them? I would think no. that people would want to be there. 
No, 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 no. Remember, our th from a fundamental perspective, okay, you have to play themes and fundamentals in management teams. The fundamental theme for financials is scale. Scale, scale, scale. So money center banks, Canadian banks, asset managers, and brokers. All three of those aspects look very, very good. I've, I don't own any regional banks in, in my tactical portfolios because of the fundamental issues that they have. And the only small regional banks that I own that I named in my small mid cap have exemplary management teams and great balance sheets. I'm not the one who had to drop my price target on the S&P last year, am I? No, you didn't. But guess what? I'm a published analyst, which, I, which I've admitted that we were wrong, Scott. There's, with much humility, we were, we were wrong, and I told everybody that. But being a published analyst with, with what I've done for all these years is very different than, than what you do. I hear you. Dude, I'm not the one managing the money, and I'm also not the one suggesting that anything that you said I said at all. I ask the questions. I don't, I don't, I don't tell, tell, tell our viewers what, what you try and do. I'm just asking you what you think against data that suggests that maybe you're a little too bullish. That's all. And I appreciate you answering the questions that I ask you. And we'll do it again. You got it. Anytime. Brian, thanks. That, yeah, BMO's Brian Belsky. Dom Chu has a news alert on Credit Suisse. And yes, Scott, my job in this situation is to deliver you the news so you guys can do what you will with it. In this case here, it's about Credit Suisse and it's about soon-to-be parent company UBS. What we have learned from the Swiss government is that they have told their financial regulators to look at Credit Suisse's top three levels of management and look for them to either cancel or reduce by anywhere from 25 to 50 percent all of their outstanding bonus payments. So the Swiss government wants to cut or cancel bonus payments for the top executives at Credit Suisse. They also want them to look into whether they can claw back bonuses for those top executives that they've already paid out. And they further, Scott and gang, go on to say that future parent company, UBS, will be obliged in the future to ensure that their variable bonus payment system gives appropriate consideration to risk management when they pay out those bonuses. So, Scott, those are your Credit Suisse headlines and UBS headlines. I'll send things back over to you. All right. I appreciate that, Dom Chu. Thank you very much. Up next, we have a healthcare triple play. Three big headlines driving the action in that sector today. We break it down next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. 
Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. Healthcare, one of today's leading sectors, J&J, United Healthcare, and Merck. Powering the Dow today, though, the Dow, though, has uh, just gone negative. But these three stocks are still positive. It's our triple play in the space, and I want to go through these. J&J, Carrie, yeah. you, you own the stock? Don't own you the don't stock. You don't own the stock. But, but I know oh, the stock. So I go to you first because, I mean, you're, you're sort of our expert on health care. I did for a long time. At right. Fidelity. Exactly. Ran a health care fund. Yeah, I so, I mean, you know your stuff, okay? Uh, J&J, they settled the tout claim for near $9 billion. What do we do? with this? Yeah, well, I think it's a big relief. I mean, the fact that they solved a problem that was just weighing on forever. I mean, this has gone on for years, and it would have continued to go on for for years. So they had to settle. They moved on. They settled the case. The the powder is now corn-based, and people can look at it with a new eye. So we we have not been um, looking at J&J because we think that they were going to settle, and therefore we should own it. It doesn't have enough growth, really, for the portfolio. On the other hand, I think that people looking for a solid, diversified healthcare company should look at, at J&J as, as with other names, because now you don't have to think about the problems that have plagued them over the last couple of years. Joe, you own J&J? Yeah, I mean, that's so excellently stated. I mean, really, it's just about removing the uncertainty and finally establishing a degree of clarity. Not necessarily sure if that gives it uh, enough of a catalyst in terms of momentum to kind of return it to where we've seen J&J in the past. I think that has to evolve over the coming quarters and see if you could see some uh, strength in the fundamentals, because the fundamentals surrounding this company, they're okay. They're okay. They're, they're okay, but, but they're not, okay. you know. UNH, uh, upgraded to a strong buy at Ray J, Raymond James. The price target goes carried at 630. Like that. You own United Health. Yes, uh, we, we like United Health a lot. And it's one of the stable healthcare names in our portfolio um, to, to the other ex, you know, extreme, you've got some of the tech, and UNH is going to solve four portfolios, a, a healthcare large cap name with steady growth with the dividend, it has a good balance sheet, and there have been some questions over the last few months about reimbursements, changes in the Affordable Care Act, and you know, we think that the stock came in, became more attractive, and people, I think, wisely are stepping up and, and buying it now. All right, Lily added to the tactical ideas list at Wells. Joe, you own Lilly? So both Lilly and Merck, these are two companies that have maintained positive momentum in an environment where healthcare has been a relative underperformer to the rest of the overall market. Even in the case, just for a second, going back to UNH, if you look at UNH's performance since October, that's when it actually peaked, while the market actually found its bottom. So I think that Eli Lilly and, and Merck are two areas of healthcare that have specifically displayed a degree of strong resiliency, and that should give you confidence as an investor that that's exactly where you want to be because it's had relative outperformance to the rest of its sector. All right, Bryn, healthcare, like it, yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, healthcare was my sector pick going into this year. Once again, I go back to like, keep it simple. If you're late stage economic cycle, going into a contraction of sorts, you do want to overweight healthcare staples and utilities. 
I felt coming into the year, utilities and staples were overvalued, but healthcare gives you, and especially that pharma, that, that pharma biotech, gives you that growth, it gives you free cash flow yield. And so I think as we continue to see the data come in and the, as the economy continues to weaken, healthcare is going to be that safe spot. And unlike tech, it really hasn't rallied this year. It has been an underperformer. So if you want free cash flow yield and growth, I think there's so many wonderful individual companies to go into within healthcare starting right now. Okay, up next, transportation transformation. FedEx is our chart of the day today. The company rolling out a reorg plant right here at the New York Stock Exchange. The Trade and Frank Holland joining us next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime Report. Here's what's happening this hour. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy set to meet Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen in California today, despite threats of retaliation from China. Tsai will also meet with a bipartisan group of more than a dozen lawmakers. The White House says, look, visits from high-level Taiwanese officials are routine and that China should not use Tsai's travel to the U.S. or through the U.S. as a pretext for greater aggression against Taiwan. Victims of the 2017 mass shooting that killed 26 people at a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, say they've reached a nearly $150 million settlement with the Department of Justice. In 2021, a judge found the government partly liable for the shooting and ordered the Justice Department to pay nearly a quarter billion dollars. The agreement still needs to be approved by the Attorney General Merrick Garland. And one of Trump's attorneys is making a prediction about his client's future in court. Criminal defense lawyer Joe Tacopina told NBC's Today Show he doesn't think the case will even get to a jury and that he thinks it will be dismissed after legal challenges. And so once again, Scott, we wait. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Let's do our chart of the day now. It is FedEx higher as the company rolls out more of its transformation plan right here at the New York Stock Exchange. Our Frank Holland here on set with us. You cover this this space. Uh, so you know it better than most. What's up with right. this plan? Just number one, a really big day for FedEx. So I spoke to FedEx CEO Raj Subramanian. He's going to do a full sit down with Jim Cramer on Mad Money later. But we had a minute to talk after this investor presentation. He said founder Fred Smith is excited about what he's calling an evolution of FedEx's business. Raj said he's excited, too. To be clear, this is really a big swing. So in June of 2024, FedEx will transform into one company. It currently operates as three separate, you know them well, Express for Air Delivery, Ground for E-Commerce, and Free for Trucking. That means each of these units will work together, delivering packages, et cetera. FedEx also increasing its dividend by 10%. And this, this third one, this is a big one. 
Executive compensation will now be tied to return on invested capital instead of CapEx percentage of revenue. There's also a restructuring at the very top. Raj Subramanian will remain CEO of the FedEx Corporation. And then from mid-April until June of next year, current FedEx ground CEO John Smith becomes the CEO of all ground operations. Current Express CEO Richard Smith, son of the founder, becomes the CEO of all air operations. Then in June of 2024, Supermanium becomes the sole CEO. The other guys get different titles. So this dividend increase will bring FedEx closer to its rival UPS that, according to Bernstein, also ties executive compensation to return on investment capital. So clearly a move, number one, to satisfy some activist investors in on the stock, D.E. Shaw, and also bring it a little closer to its rival UPS that in previous years outperformed, but this year FedEx actually outperforming UPS. Okay, so a couple things I want to get to uh, with you. You mentioned Fred Smith. You described him as excited by th- this news. I'm hearing it secondhand. I'm hearing it from Raj Subramanian. Okay. But yes, that is very but excited. This, let's be clear. I mean, this is a further move away from the FedEx of Fred right. Smith, right? Right. They're, they're calling it an evolution. It's a big swing. You can call it, use whatever word you want, but it is. It's a dramatic restructuring of the business. Fred, matter of fact, just over here, we're at the New York Stock Exchange, they had a trivia. Where did FedEx come from? A college term paper from Fred Smith when he was in college. So that original thesis, that's not getting totally blown up, but it's certainly moving away from that. Yeah, and you already mentioned this more resembles uh, more closely resembles UPS, which right. the whole show is run by Carol Tomei. Whole, the whole ball of wax run by Carol Tomei. She has oversight of everything. It's not these different divisions doing different things with different leadership. And uh, can I pull a Joe Terranova right now? I want to ask oh. the people in England Cliffs to pull up a graphic right now. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to pull a Joe Terranova. As long as you gave him one. Yeah, I, I gave him one, so we're going to see if it's going to come up. All so right. I want to talk FedEx full year EPS. So they're obviously in the middle of a big transformation plan right now to mm-hmm. cut costs. You know, back in September, Raj Subramanian said, you know, we could be seeing a global recession and you know maybe a recession is coming or not but they also raised their EPS guidance last quarter. We're showing it on the screen. They raised it to 1460 to 1520 right. for the full year. So right here I'm showing you the first three quarters. They never got above 344. So did a little calculator work. For this quarter to be in line with the bottom and the top end of the range, it has to be 457 to 517. So we're going to know if this cost cutting plan works on June 20th did when they report earnings. Did you mention the div hike too? Oh yeah, I did. 10%, 10% dividend, right? You're right. And so we showed it. We showed the half-screen board. That's going to bring it closer to UPS, okay. closer to some other blue-chip yeah. transport companies like Union Pacific, C.H. Robinson, some of the other rivals they have. Not exactly the same business, but at the same tier. Okay, good stuff. Thanks for being here. I'll see you on closing bell. Yeah, I'll see you in a, a little bit later. That's Frank Holland joining us today on FedEx. Up next, a power play. Carrie making a big move in the energy space. A new one. She'll tell us what her latest buy is next. Big week for energy. Oil surges back above $80 a barrel. Our Kerry Firestone buying a power producer today. We talked about what energy is doing, utilities. Nextera Energy is your new one, N-E-E. Yes. So Nextera, that's a new one for us. Uh, It's both a utility and a renewable energy company. So it gets the benefit right now of, I would say, the defensive play where utilities, which have been under pressure as interest rates go up, that recedes, and Florida Power and Light is the utility. It's a very well-run, very well-capitalized company, has high returns. And then Nextera Energy Resources is their renewable division. It's a, a non-regulated 
renewable company and it's been under some pressure because the stock had a big run when everybody was all excited about ESG. That faded. The stock came down. The multiple came down. And we thought this was a very attractive price to buy it. And we think it will definitely earn more than its 6 to 8% long-term growth rate. Joe, you got an opinion on this particular trade and then where you think this week uh, takes us for energy, which some are suggesting was a pivotal week. It, it, it was. I, I, I love the uh, Nextera. Thank you, NEE's a quality company. Uh, the quality momentum strategy, uh, it owns Atmos Energy. That really hasn't done much so far. That's the utility play that we have. Um, I, I, I said on Monday, I think that it's very obvious that we have supply challenges as it relates to oil. And today's oil inventory report is telling you exactly that. Inventory, Scott, at their lowest level, since December of 2022. But here's a troubling statistic. We imported more oil in the last week than at any time since 2020. And most of that oil is coming from the Middle East. So we've got a supply challenge. The refiners are higher today. I, I offered some caution on Monday regarding the refiners. At full disclosure, refiners are part of the Joe T strategy. But refiners will be challenged if there's a higher price of oil. I think the better play is three names, which I gave on Monday. ExxonMobil, Hess, and Fang, Diamondback Energy. All right, Bryn, energy is your space. Well, what do you think here? Yeah, well, I mean, I was on with you at Closing Bell, I think it was March 16th, and I said, tech stocks are trading like a soft landing, and energy and banks are trading like we're already into a recession. So, you know, that was a good time to come in to the fear and buy energy. I think now we've been reintroduced to the Saudi put. And they are going to come in and they are going to cut production when they fear there's going to be an economic slowdown. And so, you know, I continue to think the way to play this are, you know, these companies with the, the dividends, the cash flow, which they all have free cash flow. They don't all have high dividends. But, you know, I added to Devon on the 16th. I've then on Monday sold calls, so August 60 calls against them and got about a five and a half percent yield. So I just continue to think there are long term secular tailwinds, but take advantage of the opportunities when the market gets panicky, because I do think you're going to continue to see Saudi actually more aggressive in maintaining that 70 to 80 dollar oil price because they need that for their own economic initiatives. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli with his midday word. We'll be right back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us here on set. Data, more data week. Yes. You got the yield curve again in focus, steepening, right? 44 basis points is where it currently is, two and tens. Yeah. And against all of that, Mester says higher for longer. Yes, um, I think that that's going to have to continue to be the party line. So I don't think the market's going to focus more on what they're saying as opposed to the data. And it's been a textbook response in some ways internally in the market to uh, a pretty good you know, run of softer economic numbers. What's fascinating is the overall market feels like it could get away with it just by rotating as opposed to by selling off. So mm -hmm. uh, the big cap stuff, we knew they were overheated. Uh, it's pulling back. We were overbought coming into this week, and it's getting relieved. Uh, and it, there's sort of a way out uh, if, if, in fact, you can reprice in that way and not have things fall apart entirely. I also want to point out, because you know I love to hit on this, we got yields breaking down, and we got the NASDAQ 100 yes, leading to the downside because that's not the story. The story is they were the leaders, they were overbought, and they needed to cool off. And we're 
the yields are going down because obviously the macro story. Is, you want to comment on that because you you make this point again about long duration assets and the correlation to rates and Mike has maintained for as long as Only I can that remember. It's one piece of the picture. Sure, yeah. Yeah. but but people have made it out to be the biggest piece. Of but the I but I but I think and Mike Mike disagree. I think what you're seeing in technology is profit taking. Sure. I, I yeah. don't think it's anything. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's anything more than that. And I think you have to acknowledge that the climate has changed where we're no longer punishing long duration assets to the degree that we were six to 12 months ago. No, that's that's absolutely true. I just I've just argued against the magic linear response that yeah. all that matters. I mean, Alphabet's earnings estimates came down like 20 percent last sure. year for this year. I mean, that's what was getting the stock down. But if you think if you're sitting underway technology and you think you're going to get a chance to buy NVIDIA or you're going to buy Microsoft or Apple at the yeah. levels that it was in December. Sure. Good luck. No, no, and I think what's also happening is you're rebuilding the premium for earnings visibility. Right. That's the other part of it. If you're much more doubtful about cyclicals, okay, then I guess we have a little more of a, of a fundamental cushion because yeah. they're not going to fall apart as much. Yeah, and they already yeah. had an earnings recession. Right. All right. Exactly. I'll see you in a couple. Okay. All right. Mike Santoli will be back with me, of course, uh, closing bell. Keep sending us your recent trades. The committee will grade them next. All right, let's do grade my trade. Bryn, I'm coming to you first from Al in Nebraska. I bought the JEPQ. That's the NASDAQ 100 equity premium ETF. Should I plan? I bought it at $40.94. That's what Al says. Should I plan to dollar cost average going forward or sit tight? You own this, right? Yep, I own it. I love it. I give you an A. It sells out-of-the-money calls on the NASDAQ. It's a defensive way to own tech, and it's annualizing a 14% call premium. So, Keep keep dollar cost averaging. All right, Joe from Michael in California. Pepsi, hold or sell. Average cost 142. Bought it for the dividend. Ooh, 142. That's an A plus. I think you want to hold into earnings. Stock pushing towards its high. This is a company that is a consumer staple with a valuation towards the upper 20s, but yet has revenue growth of above 10% in the last eight quarters. All right, Carrie, Salesforce, Joseph in New York. I bought it at 136. What do I do? Time to sell? Is that you, Joe? No. Joseph, I give you an A. I'd give you an A+. That is a great buy. Would you sell it now? I don't know. Maybe trim a little bit. The stock has more to run. I think the growth in in both revenues and cost-cutting will continue to push the stock higher. All right. Quick break. Then final trades on the other side. Welcome back. Don't miss a new CNBC Pro Talk with our very own Joe Terranova coming up right after the show, 1.15 Eastern Time. Joe's going to share some of his best ideas for the rest of 2023. You can check it out, cnbc.com slash protalks. A reminder coming up in a couple hours on Closing Bell, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Got Adam Parker joining me along with Kristen Bitterly. We'll have the Raymond James analyst who put that strong buy on United Health today, too. One of the better stocks in today's session. So I'll see all of you in a couple hours' time. In the meantime, Bryn, why don't you start us off with final trades, please? I'm going to stick with one of my stocks in my sector pick, healthcare, AbbVie. They innovate in immunology and oncology. It's got a 7.3% free cash flow yield, a dividend over 3%. In a a world of uncertainty, you get growth at a reasonable price and defensive nature. All right. Thank you. Carrie, what do you have? 
uh, Thermo Fisher. It's another healthcare name. This is a stock that peaked in December of 2021 on the back of COVID vaccines and all of the work that they did on the biopharmaceutical testing and equipment side. Stocks had a long base. We think that it can now start to outperform big time. Joseph, let's complete the trifecta. Another <laughs> healthcare. IBB, biotech ETF, bought it a couple of weeks ago. All about healthcare today. All right, yes, it is. Uh, our triple play. All right, I'll see everybody on closing bell. Just a couple hours' time. Right now, the Dow is flat. The exchange picks it up now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.